Welcome back, private equity aficionados. We've been speaking to your creditors. They've been giving us the lowdown on all things European private debt. The strongest players, the biggest fundraising prospects, and new frontiers. Lend us your ear, listeners. We discuss a whole range of emerging themes and catch up with Sertier Capital's Team O'Hara in this week's Unquote Private Equity Podcast. Hello listeners and welcome. I'm Kenny Wastel and we'll be talking private debt on this episode of the pod. To help us do that, we have in the studio Unquote Head Honcho, Editor Greg Gilles. Hi Greg. Hi Kenny, good to be back. And the ever-present Unquote News Editor, Oscar Gein. Hi Oscar. Hi Kenny, thanks for having me and good to have you back. Right, so just before we start off, in the interest of providing a little context and for the benefit of our listeners, Unquote's sister publication Credit Flux recently published a report on direct lending called European Direct Lending Perspectives. According to that report, alternative lenders raised €25 billion Euros for European funds in 2018. That was slightly down on 2017 levels, but still still well above historic averages. Oscar, you attended Credit Flux's direct lending event recently. How did the feeling at the conference match with those stats? Yeah, um, thanks, Kenny. As you say, I, I was at the conference this year. Um, I actually missed it last year, but I was there the year before, and there's quite a stark sort of difference in the feeling. Sort of um, the, the one in 2017 was a lot more about kind of education, uh, still lots of first-time funds around, people launching new strategies. Uh, this time, it seemed a lot. Uh, the market seemed a lot more mature. Um, it was it seemed a lot more sort of competitive, if, if I could say that. The, the GPs were all sort of emphasising the importance of differentiation, um, and you know, trying to really make their strategies stand out. There are a lot of people sort of trying to raise funds. They're probably on their second or third generation, probably less kind of first-time strategies around. Um, but, but very much focused on either being country specific, specific types of loans, only sponsored, only sponsorless. So it's an evolution of the market, I'd say. Okay, and keeping the focus on uh, private equity, um, do you think we're seeing more private debt in sponsored transactions, Greg? Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you look at the um, either the, the publication that we mentioned um, at the beginning, or a wealth of other kind of data sources in the market. Or even just having have a chat with you know two or three GPs and see how much they've used uh, private debt on their deals as opposed to bank lending, and it's now I mean it's um, I think Europe wide it's uh, edging in on fifty percent of of deal flow in the mid market. Um, in some weirdly enough, and I'm sure we'll come back to that point about geographies in places like France and the DAC region, it's actually now beyond the fifty percent mark in favour of uh, private lenders. As opposed to banks, so I think there's, and that goes back to that point that you made, Oscar, about you know there's less education. There's just less education to be to be had, really. Everyone is now, as you said, you know people are on their third funds or fourth funds. Uh, all the GPs have had a chance to you know have a, a potentially a, a full cycle of an investment with private lenders, so they know what to expect to some extent. I think relationships are being built as well with the the more established names. Uh, track records are starting to emerge, and I think it's um, you know the benefits from a financial and, and technical level have, have been understood for quite a few years. Now, what's really coming of age is that sort of you know you know who you're dealing with, and you're cultivating these relationships over several deals. Yeah, that's a, a really good point actually, and that's sort of the caveat to what I was saying before about kind of 
more kind of specialization and more kind of GPs trying to make themselves stand out is that actually when we did the LP panel towards the end of the day, um, they were pitching, they did this thing where it was, would you buy it, right? So they're pitching like hypothetical funds um, and all of the kind of more differentiated, maybe there was a country specific fund that only went invested in sponsorless deals in the UK or something like that. Um, all the LPs were saying, oh, not really too sure about that one. Whereas when you come back to something called like, I can't remember, I think Yellow Creek was the fictional name. So Yellow Creek Capital for uh, investing sort of pan-European, mostly kind of France and Germany, Unitranche. They were all uh, buying that one up straight away. So Right. I, I guess what we're talking about is uh, also the, the maturing of the uh, of the space. Um, I, I mean, how do, how do we see that happening? Are, are we seeing uh, the beginning of signs or can we expect to see sort of signs that you would associate that we've seen in, in other uh, sort of areas, asset classes, uh, you know, it, that go along with that sort of maturing? Yeah, I think we're, we're already pretty much there. And I think the signs are there in, in the stats we mentioned at the beginning. It's still a very buoyant market, and that's not going to go away. The, the, the benefits when it comes to yield, the value proposition of, uh, of private debt for, for LPs is there. And it, it could be argued that it'll be even better if, if we do enter a downturn. But you start seeing these signs of, you know, uh, now uh, debut funds are struggling a bit more. I think there's a couple of data points on that in, in the report uh, compared to previous years. Um, and, you know, the, the more established brand names raise quicker. You know, when you see the sort of Aries raising six billion plus in, in, the, in the space of six months is absolutely nuts. Um, and I think there's, there's going to be that flight to the to the brand name, to the track records. So that's that's already there. And I think... A natural evolution from that as well, if you put two and two together, when you look at that landscape, I think there's going to be some consolidation going on as well. And I think that's a point that was made by Carlisle recently. Um, there's bound to be consolidation in that space. The little the little guys will probably, some of them will will be um, sort of swallowed up by by larger players. Uh, and and we've seen we've seen that to to some markets to some extent already. You know, um, Eurozio uh, acquiring um, ID Invest. ID Invest has got quite a significant portion of their investments are in the debt space um, and there'll, there'll, there'll be more of that for sure um, so I think that's that's something that I would see on the horizon yeah and it's a good point and, the, and something that we've discussed before when we've been looking at private equity fundraising about how a downturn would sort of affect it because um, the other point I wanted to make about this conference is that there are probably more kind of special sits kind of corporate credit recovery guys around and, and out marketing which suggests you know, at least they think there's a chance of a, a downturn in the near future. Um, but then to come back again to the LP panel when they were presented with this, they say, yeah, maybe we'd look at one or two of them. But still, even in a downturn, we're going to stick with the people that we trust, that we think can uh, take us through a cycle. Mm. That seems to be a sort of recurring theme across the, the investment landscape, really. Uh, great. We'll be back to, to speak a bit more about uh, about private debt uh, shortly. Uh, first of all, we are going to go to an interview that you had, Oscar, with uh, Timo Hara from Sirtir Cap- Capital. And uh, we'll be back with that interview after this, listener. Hello, listener. I'm here to tell you about Allocate, European Private Equities AGM, hosted by Unquote. This year we'll be returning to The Grove in Hertfordshire from the 19th to the 21st of June. I'll be there, Kenya will be there, and so will more than 100 LPs, the top tier of European GPs and our advisory partners. 
We'll be talking about all the big themes that will affect the next private equity cycle, catching up with old friends, and maybe even taking part in some outdoor activities, cycling, golf, yoga, and a barbecue. You can find out more at events.unquote.com forward slash allocate. We look forward to seeing you there. Hello, listeners. I'm here in Berlin with uh, Timo Hara from Certia Capital. Hi, Timo, and welcome to the pod. Hi, Oscar. Thanks for having me. We're going to be talking about private debt today. Um, so, Timo, last time I spoke to you in person was on a stage at our Nordic Forum yes. in Stockholm, and we were talking about private debt allocations, and you were telling me about how LPs were allocating more and more to private debt. Now, this was probably five or six months ago, so how's the situation changed? Well, uh, coming into 2019, we we have started to see some of the uh, some of the LPs who have started and been first movers in in the private debt space uh, already getting a bit more cautious at, at least about increasing their allocations anymore. So many many start to be at their target allocation levels, and uh, whilst uh, a fair amount of capital has been raised in the market. There have been or start to be some concerns on if it can be deployed sensibly. Okay, so on the topic of sensible deployment, what do GPs need to do now to really stand out from the crowd? Well, it's uh, as, as always in, in private credit, it's, uh, it's a lot about uh, the sourcing capabilities of, of the GPs and their skills of showing that they are able to do their own deals rather than those deals which are shopped around by, uh, by the uh, intermediaries and debt advisors of this world. That makes sense. Um, and another point that we just discussed briefly off air um, was sort of increasingly creative ways that some GPs are looking to deploy capital. We've heard the term reload facility bandied around a little bit, um, where you can redraw to kind of opening leverage with a, a facility that sits outside the unit tranche. Could you yeah. sort of talk us through that? Have you seen yeah, that kind of thing? Yeah, we've seen that 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 sort of things uh, maybe in two different different types of contexts, and uh, and the the other one is is I would say a positive one from our perspective, and the other one can maybe be discussed a bit a bit more. But the, uh, if we start with the, uh, with the kind of positive one is that in, in many cases, if, a, uh, if the f- target company, the borrower is uh, going through uh, add-on strategy, buy and build strategy, buying other companies and, uh, and merging them into itself, uh, the, the original loan facility agreement may allow a continuous use of uh, leverage up to a certain EBITDA multiple. And uh, there is uh, so there is kind of unused capacity day one in terms of the size of the facility, and once once the company makes further add-ons, uh, it can draw from the same facility uh, more and more capital to buy further ones. Right, but sometimes it can be used to pay a dividend as well. Well, that's then the other side of the, <laughs> of the story that um, that the private equity owner reserves uh, already at the beginning a right to uh, pay himself a, a dividend recap at the, <laughs> at the uh, point of time when when we are again a couple of years ahead of the cycle from from this to from today so it might be that the uh, debt provider would like to reconsider that that decision then and would you have concerns about that as a private debt investor well um, say as long as the uh, 
ultimate death multiple remains uh, sensible, it's probably still acceptable. Okay. But of course, um, pre-agreeing uh, payment back to the equity owners in in uh, in a buyout situation is is uh, something you don't see at least in the beginning of a cycle. Fair enough. Okay, Timo, just uh, one more question before I let you go. And what I want to ask is, how's 2019 shaping up for you so far? Um, how many commitments do you expect to make to managers across your portfolio? And also, how much capital are your managers expecting to deploy? Yeah. Uh, on, in particular, on the uh, sponsorless uh, country-specific manager and fund side, we are looking to commit into several funds during 19. We have uh, have a couple of very interesting uh, interesting country-specific funds very far in, the, in our due diligence process at the moment and Touchwood, those should be closed before summer. Great, look forward to hearing about those. Yep, those are very interesting new countries actually to, to where we have uh, previously been investing. Are we talking beer drinking, wine drinking? These would be more on the beer drinking, clearly on the beer drinking side okay. of, 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 of Europe. And then uh, then on your question on, on the pipeline and uh, deployment in our current current funds, we see very strong, strong pipeline with our country-specific managers, uh, each of them, whether it's... Uh, Germany, UK, or, or, or even the wine drinking Spain, <laughs> we've seen uh, interesting deals, consistent uh, terms of those deals. So clearly the theme and thesis of this uh, double-digit returning senior loans to sponsorless companies, it holds and there is still, on relative terms, very little competition for those deals. So we, we look forward to seeing uh, 19 to be a good deployment year. Glad to hear it. Um, we'll catch up in six to eight months' time again and uh, see how it's actually gone. Yeah, well, you have to call me on that. Thanks very much. Thanks, Oscar. Sertir Capital's Team Ahara there, and interesting to get an LP's take on the private debt landscape, particularly to hear his views on some of the more contentious practices creeping in. Yeah, exactly, Kenny. Um, interesting to hear his take on the kind of reload facilities that we've seen creeping in, uh, because when you hear from GPs, obviously, it's all about growth and you know planned acquisitions, um, whereas other people in the market have been a bit more critical of that, maybe describing it as a kind of automatic dividend machine. Um, but obviously, there are cases where it does make sense. Um, interesting to hear him say that, you know, it's not really the sort of thing you see at the start of a cycle, perhaps a slight understatement there. We've, we've seen this sort of thing actually get a bit of mainstream press coverage. Um, and I saw a, a senior partner at Bain Capital was speaking in the Financial Times uh, earlier this week or last week, maybe saying that the, some of the adjustments that he's seeing are quite aggressive. Uh, exaggerate the metaphor that he used was you know you're you've got a guy that's five foot seven he says that he's six foot two but he's standing on a box which is uh, fine until you take the box away so hopefully nothing that extreme happens in the private debt context yeah i think uh, i think timo was quite diplomatic there uh, to his to his credit um i think that on the on that reload facilities thing uh, obviously he's looking at it more from the uh, from the actual lender um i think on the uh, as you said oscar on uh, 
I'm sure there's plenty. There's there's ways to uh, to use it sensibly uh, from from the from the sponsor perspective, um, but I think there's potentially quite a lot of explaining to do, and I'm not even um, talking specifically in terms of potential PR disasters if and when things go wrong. I'm thinking even in terms of you know LPs, either your your existing LPs or, or prospective LPs. To me, that that screams a little bit. This is how we get returns is via a healthy dose of financial engineering, and it's not it's not necessarily the best message to pull out there. I'm sure in practice that's not the way that that they will um, sell that to their investors. It's probably in conjunction with or you know see what it enables us to do on on the growth part. But that's something that potentially the the, the market in terms of borrowers, I mean, will have to um, to keep in mind. Uh, but yeah, I mean that the, the concerns that that have started to appear. Um, I think there's a, there's a bit in the, uh, the credit flux um, debt wire survey that is uh, quite enlightening. There was about forty nine percent of respondents um, so uh, a deterioration in uh, loan doc- documentation um, last year. Um, and anecdotally, you'll hear that from uh, from private debt providers now. Uh, one of them told me recently that um, you know it's a bit. They they still want to be uh, price setters and, and not um, price um, price takers, and I think it's getting quite hard to do when there's so much competition in the market and uh, you know people ch- chasing the same deals. Um, and I think as 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 that um, lender put it, a lot of the mid market borrowers, meaning GPs, are are trying it on a little bit and and trying to push their luck when it comes to uh, to structures and, and terms. Uh, so yeah, potentially something to. Um, to look out for there. Okay, so having a sort of a niche perhaps uh, becomes becomes very important on on that front. And uh, on the, on that note, uh, Timo touched on Certier's approach to regional funds. Uh, are there any regions in particular we should be keeping an eye on? Yeah, well, it was interesting to hear him say we're looking at a couple of uh, beer drinking countries specific funds. Um, suggests obviously the northern European regions. Uh, We'd expect, I mean, we're looking at this European Direct Lending Perspectives report again, because there was a survey in here where they asked lots of, I'm not sure exactly how many, um, but a large sample of private debt fund managers, where in Europe they thought was the best opportunity for growth. Uh, Now, DAC region came out on top by a long way. It was 31%. uh, So most likely they'll be looking at a fund there. Um, Possibly also the Nordics with 11% although there have been some issues with, especially with sponsored deploying, <laughs> deploying capital to sponsored deals uh, in that region, because the banks there are still very strong. And the banks have taken the view that if they like a deal, then they'll just underwrite the whole thing. Whereas in the DAC region, you have these first out, second out structures that have been widely discussed and have allowed the funds to massively increase their market share. I think, as you said earlier, Greg, up to over 50%. Yeah, and you've you've got some um, you've even got some UK kind of focused lenders historically, um, who are now looking at, at Germany. Um, essentially, when we talk about that, it's essentially Germany we're talking about. Um, so there's obviously a lot of growth potential there. Um, when you look at one of one of the findings in the survey that didn't surprise me too much is the fact that only I think eleven um, percent of the respondents saw kind of growth opportunities in the. In the most growth opportunities in 2019, um, and that's that's France. It's such a mature market when it comes to lending, and you know everyone and their dogs have been doing kind of uni tranche and um, and, and mezzanine there for for years. Um, so it's not surprising. Plus, obviously, you get the, the very well established network of local banks. Um, so yeah, that's uh, I think 
dark in specifically Germany is, is where most eyes are at at the moment. Yeah, it sounds uh, for, from all of those regions that have been mentioned, it sounds like we're talking about the, the northern and western uh, European countries. Perhaps that's, that shouldn't be surprising at all, really. Um, uh, before we sign off, because we, we are almost out of time, uh, were there any other points Timo raised that either of you wanted to pick up on? Uh, yeah, well, I guess we want to be careful reading too much into this, but the sponsored slash sponsorless point that he made was quite interesting. Obviously, Certio is mainly focused on the more niche strategies, which does lend itself to more sponsorless deals generally. Um, but as we were saying earlier, in, spon- there is a certain attractiveness about sponsorless funds at this point in the cycle because it does give you access to deal flow, which you're not getting through other asset classes. Obviously, if you're doing only the sponsored deals, it's the same deals that the private equity funds are in. And you actually, by going into sponsorless deals, you've got access to a whole other universe of companies. And at least that does actually open up a whole new can of worms. Yeah, absolutely. I'm afraid that is all we have time for this week. Please do take the opportunity to subscribe to the Unquote Private Equity podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Or, of course, continue listening on Unquote.com. A very big thank you to our two panellists in the studio today, to our special guest, Sertier Capital's Timo Hara, and as always, a big thank you to you too, listener. We'll speak to you soon.